Hey folks, welcome to episode seven of the Speaking of Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Robin Ellingwood. And on today's show, I have the pleasure of talking to author, teacher, activist, coach, and spiritual director, Mark Scandrett. Mark has written five books on practical spirituality, most notably his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus. He and his wife, Lisa, live in the Mission District of San Francisco. During our conversation, Mark and I talk about the popular personality typing system known as the Enneagram. Mark talks about the benefit of the Enneagram for leaders and then shares some insights about a couple typical leader types. Now, obviously, leaders can come in all shapes and sizes or numbers, but during the time that we had, Mark focuses in on the three and the eight, which are two of the most common leader types. If you're looking to learn a little bit more about the different types, I would encourage you to check out Ian Morgan Cron's Typology podcast, where Mark has been a guest, and also Riso and Hudson's book, The Wisdom of the Enneagram. Before we get to the interview, I want to share something new with you. In September, I'll begin highlighting a book for leaders every month. I'll only recommend books that have been helpful to my life and leadership. My first book of the month is Atomic Habits by James Clear. Atomic Habits is one of the best self-improvement books that I've read in recent years. It's a fascinating but practical book that will help you develop a stronger identity, overcome a lack of motivation and willpower, and make tiny changes that deliver big results. You can click in the link in my show notes to check it out and be sure to follow the Speaking of Leadership Instagram account, where I'll be sharing a couple of quotes from the book each week. Okay, without any further delay, here's my conversation with Mark Scandrett. Hey, Mark, so glad that you could join me today. Welcome to the show. Hey, great to be with you, Robin. I met you back in 2016 at a church planters retreat in Malibu, California, of all places. Yeah, it's a tough place to have a retreat, let me tell you. It sure is. And at that retreat, you spent some time with church planters unpacking the Enneagram for us. And at, at that time, my wife and I had no prior kind of introduction or experience with the Enneagram. But since that time, we've been on this journey of self-discovery and uh, the Enneagram has been such a helpful tool for that. So I'm guessing probably most of our listeners have um, heard of the Enneagram, are familiar a little bit with it. It's a pretty trendy thing right now, especially in Christian circles, in, in some leadership circles. It's blown up since 2016. Who would have thought? Yeah. But for those who don't know much about the Enneagram, have maybe heard the word, but aren't sure exactly what it is, could you maybe speak to that and explain uh, the Enneagram to maybe someone who doesn't know much about it? Yeah, uh, the Enneagram, Enneagram means nine. And the as the theory goes, there are, um, there, there are basically nine, nine ways of seeing life. Mm-hmm. And those nine windows into uh, a perception, both are a gift to the person and to others, but also they name some distorted messages that we have about ourselves and about the world and about who God is. So it kind of charts an invitation into growth and maturity as well. Hmm. What would you say to people who have maybe a little bit of um, who are feeling a little bit cautious about the Enneagram because of some of its origins. Like I've heard some Christians kind of push back a little bit and be like, 
Is it a new age thing? Part of that, I think, is the symbol. But what would you say to them? Yeah, well, um, I, I think a couple things. Uh, one is uh, Enneagram gets a bit of a bad rap because people use it as a parlor game. Right. So if you're on the inside, you you talk about your type and other people's types. And that's a misuse of the tool. It's really a tool for self-awareness and growth, mm-hmm. not not it shouldn't be used to label people or to excuse behavior. Um, I would say I know there's the weird shape and things like that, but the um, I think for a follower of Jesus, um, there's a connection all the way back to the the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness mm-hmm. that he was tempted in terms of of power and control, ego and esteem, and safety and security. Right, and those are the three. Uh, intelligence centers that the uh, Enneagram names. And so, um, so Jesus was tempted in everywhere we are, um, you know, that those are three main areas of, of human struggle that, that are named both in the scriptures and in, by Enneagram. And then um, uh, Evagrius Ponticus or Pontigris Evagrius back in the, uh, one of the desert fathers used to send people out on retreat when they would come out to the Egyptian desert and he noticed when they came back, he functioned kind of like a spiritual director. And he noticed that people struggled in solitude, but they didn't all have the same struggles. And he developed uh, what he called the, the legismoid, the deadly thoughts, hmm. and named eight different ones. Those eventually became the seven deadly sins. But there's a real overlap between the categories of the Enneagram and what Evagrius uh, noticed. And so the way I tend to look at it is this isn't an, a system that imposes itself. It seems self-evident and it, it shows up. These patterns show up in lots of different places. And so like really historically two 20th century uh, psychologists from South America noticed that when they talked with their clients, the clients got stuck in a certain narrative, hmm. a certain way of seeing and they thought, is it possible for you to see this in a different way? Right. And uh, they noticed patterns to the kinds of thoughts that people had. So it just, it just names the traps that we experience as human beings. And I think for the Christian, the interesting question is, how does the reality of the kingdom of God, how does the gospel speak to these distorted and broken places in our lives? and invite us back to reality again, Mm -hmm. back to what's most real and true. That's so good. How are you introduced to the Enneagram? Yeah, I went to an event um, up in Seattle in about two, I think it was Seattle, 2001. Maybe it was the year 2000. And there was a little, a little Franciscan monk walking around in these brown robes. and nobody had ever heard of him before. His name was uh, Father Richard Rohr. Yeah. And so I chatted with him. He was kind of on his own at this event. And uh, afterwards, I looked him up and looked at what he'd written and saw that he'd written on the Enneagram. And I got curious about it. So I read his book. And then I got into the Rizzo Hudson book as well. And then I, I think a few years later, I was on a private retreat with him. Mm-hmm. where we did, did some work with Enneagram. So 
it's been about 20 years now wow. since my first exposure. And like, like many people, I mistyped myself uh, for a couple of years. I thought I was an Enneagram 1, which is a reformer. And it turns out I'm an Enneagram 4. And it, it's not uncommon. Like We start off at a place of limited self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And I think it just takes time to get to know yourself a bit more. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, that's similar to my journey too. Started out thinking I was a three with a four wing and have now realized that I'm an eight with a nine wing. So, Ooh, so there you go. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You, you and I, when we were engaging about this, you were, you were talking three with a four wing. So that's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so weird. And who knows, maybe in two years I'll be like a six with a seven wing or something. So probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, definitely, definitely is a journey. And I, I just agree with, you know, my experience and those who I know as well, you know, it just takes a while kind of sitting with the tool and, you know, just growing in self-awareness. And sometimes what we think we are when we first begin this journey is different than what we come to realize uh, we are. Yeah. And what I appreciate about the typology is that in contrast to something like Myers-Briggs or Strength Finders, what the Enneagram tribes tries to uh, explore is inner motivation. Right. So, um, and maybe that's why, why we mistype ourselves because we look at behavior and go, oh, I think I'm like this, you know? Yeah. And actually it tries to describe what's going on inside mm-hmm. the patterns of thought and motive. And only you know that. Like, I can't tell you, I can't say that for you. Right. I can, I only get to see the outside. Yeah. And I guess that's the same reason why we shouldn't type other people, right? Mm -hmm. Because we don't know the motivations behind the behaviors, right? Yeah. We just see what's on the outside. So my interest in it accelerated because uh, since the early 2000s, I've run a spiritual formation center in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. We do these labs that are four to six weeks plus uh, a series of retreats. And we began to notice that people in their journey of discipleship struggle with different things. You know, some people struggle with uh, self-discipline and, you know, misbehavior and other people that those aren't struggles at all, but they struggle with fear. Right. So we're like, there isn't a one size fits all to the journey of discipleship and personality typology sort of describes the differences in people's journey of discipleship. So what's easy for one person in terms of responding to the gospel is very difficult for another person. And I think that's related to personality. Hmm. That's so good. In what ways would you say the Enneagram has impacted your life and your leadership? Yeah. uh, One is that it has helped me understand myself a, a little bit more and why I do what I do and why I have these particular insecurities around my leadership and difficulties in my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an Enneagram four, an individualist. And so some of the motive I bring to my, uh, my life and work is I want, it has to be unique and special. Right. And on teams, I want to feel like I'm being sort of the gadfly, uh, the special spice that's added to the mix. <laughs> It probably explains, some of this explains why I struggled in um, parish ministry, uh, in institutional, you know, forms of ministry, because you're, um, it's not about, 
your specialness. It's about preserving the institution right. and being part of a bigger structure and how you, you fit in that. So it's been helpful in that way. And then it's been very helpful for me walking with people as a spiritual director and a, a spiritual mentor mm-hmm. uh, as well to go. I, uh, I mean, I think, you know, you, you probably noticed this as well, Robin, that if you listen to somebody who speaks regularly in a church context, they're saying the same thing over and over again. <laughs> no way. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that comes from our, you know, like, like, uh, like here, here's an example. Uh, and Enneagram three who tends to be performance and achievement oriented will um, often drop something in a message. Like it's, it's about being not doing right. And that's a message that they need to hear for themselves. Right. But not all of us are into performing and achieving. Mm-hmm. So the punchline doesn't really ring true for us. You know, uh, often there'll be a leader who really, really emphasizes grace. Because if you're an Enneagram one, it's really hard to accept that you're broken and that you're in need of grace. Mm. Uh, Enneagram one leader will tend to really emphasize that aspect of reality because it's the thing they most desperately need or want to hear for themselves. So I have to be aware as a leader that I shouldn't, if I can, I shouldn't just speak to myself, but I have to be thinking of other people and how, how they're hearing scripture and make sure that our, our strive to think about where the struggle might be for them and what's going what's gonna to be the most good news to them rather than just what's the most good news to me. Amazing. We probably don't have time to dive into all nine types. So I'm wondering maybe for a general audience, if we think of pastors, leader types, whether in church or other organizations, maybe nonprofits, could you highlight some of the strengths and pitfalls uh, for some of the numbers that may fall into those, you know, roles as like pastor or leader types? Yeah. A lot of leaders that I do um, kind of spiritual coaching work with tend to be Enneagram threes Mm -hmm. or like you identified as a three. And then it took a little while to figure out that they were something else. And Enneagram three is a achiever performer type. And the strength of that and probably why many threes end up in church and faith leadership is that this is a person who, when they were young, learned how to show up in ways that got them affirmation and praise. Mm -hmm. And they almost have a spidey sense about when they walk in a room, what do people value here? How do you be a success in this environment? And then they shape themselves in whatever form they need to, to respond to that kind of group think. Mm -hmm. It's a a helpful skill for a church leader because you have to convene lots of different people. You need to be sensitive to um, their thoughts and whether or not they're feeling included. Uh, The challenge for the three, though, is that they, in immaturity, have based their whole sense of worth on people liking them and approving of of them and them seeing themselves as a success. Mm -hmm. And so the temptation will be to not be fully authentic, to to fake it, to make it, and 
to actually say no to their real needs and desires and in order to push forward in becoming that whoever they think the group wants them to be. Right. And so I, I encounter a lot of Enneagram three leaders kind of in mid career in ministry who go, I've been on a treadmill all these years. I've been doing this work for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And I either need to find a more pure and true way of doing it, or I need to go do something else instead, because this is my way of doing ministry is toxic right now. Mm -hmm. Right. What others besides threes would you say might gravitate towards, you know, a leadership or serving role? There's a lot of eights that are in, um, in Christian ministry. They often uh, can go into an organization and they have a lot of confidence. You know, they're, they're le- it's a leader type, mm-hmm. um, ready to take on challenges, start new things. Um, uh, and so that's, that's something to really celebrate. They've got a, eights have a lot of courage and they're indomitable. Uh, the challenge is eventually the people that they're around follow their leadership, but can sometimes feel dominated or belittled by the leader. Sometimes eights need to hear, hear correction eight or 10 times before it ever registers to them. <laughs> um, they're like a bull in a China shop where they're breaking things accidentally all the time, offending and hurting people all the time. Mm. Uh, a lot of the eights I know, if they get some self-awareness, realize I need to become more sensitive to others and ask for their input and ask for their feedback. It's spiritually integrative for them to focus on loyalty to a group rather than just charging on by themselves, that they submit themselves to a group that they can be loyal to instead of being the lone ranger. Right, right. Developing a bit more vulnerability. Yeah. Uh, and letting the guard down and letting other people care for them can be really helpful. What other practices, you know, as you've been coaching leaders and, and also even just helping people type themselves, what are some other practices that have been really helpful for people to learn and integrate? Because I know a lot of your work is around practice-based faith, mm-hmm. and um, that's been a huge gift to the church, like through your writing and your speaking And so I'm just wondering maybe if you can give leaders some practices that can help them grow and just become healthier versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. Sure. I do a doctoral course on um, practical theology at Fuller Seminary. It tends to attract a lot of of senior faith leaders. One of the disciplines that comes up, practices that comes up quite a bit, is being fully present to the people that we're with. Mm -hmm. Um, and particularly Enneagram type threes are only motivated when they feel like they're getting something done or accomplishing something. So time with spouse, time with a child doesn't feel very productive. And so they'll attempt to microtask, um, I'm sorry, multitask. And so a spiritual practice that often that type will take on is to say, I'm going to spend an hour with my child or an hour with my spouse without my phone, totally focused on them. Mm -hmm. Or uh, sometimes self-care is a struggle for a leader, uh, particularly twos and threes. So to say, practicing Sabbath, real Sabbath, can be real transformative. Mm -hmm. Having 
a period of, of silence and solitude, maybe going for a 30 to 60 minute walk and meditating on some scripture or a short mantra that in, affirms inherent dignity and worth can sometimes counteract some of those messages of I am what I do or whatever. So I, instead of that, I'm just present to God and myself. I'm, li- I'm in my body and I'm rehearsing things about my identity that are, ch- are deep and true mm. can be really helpful. Yeah, those are great. Those are really good. What, you know, for a person who's familiar with the Enneagram and maybe wants to go a little bit deeper, what books or resources would you point people to as just kind of, you know, good ways to do a deep dive into the Enneagram world, not just for the, you know, for the point of um, or for the benefit of information, but for someone who really wants to do the deep work and to grow in self-awareness as a leader? Mm -hmm. I think, um, first of all, Self-awareness is one aspect of what the Enneagram can do. Because I'm committed to discipleship and spiritual formation, I think we start there and then go, what are the practices that will help me move towards what's most real and true? Mm -hmm. And I do uh, a quick couple of things. Rizzo Hudson on their Enneagram Institute website has recommendations for each of the types. Okay, And so if you think that you're a particular type, you can go to that website and just, or just Google Enneagram growth recommendations and then name the type. And the recommendations that they give are very solid hmm. and pr- pretty spot on. You'll know you, you're, you're identifying the, your correct type if it feels like those recommendations are like reading your mail. <laughs> uh, you know, and sometimes I'll cheat when I'm doing a coaching session and I'll just, somebody says what their type is and I quick look at Enneagram Institute on the recommendations and I just read them to them and they'll go, yep, that sounds like it'd be a really good thing for me to look at. That sounds like a really good thing for me to do. But I, I also have my own kind of short process that I work with people on this mm-hmm. uh, using a series of, of four questions. What's not working or where do I feel stuck right now is the first question. Okay. Uh, second question is, what is the underlying pattern and the scripts that support what's not working in my life? And then the third question would be, what's reality? What is the good and true vision of life that Jesus is inviting me into? Mm-hmm. The fourth question is, what's a practice, a daily habit or practice that will help me live in what's most real and true, live in that kingdom reality. Okay. Um, so maybe I can give you a quick example from my life. I have noticed that I struggle a lot with jealousy. It's part of my, my personality type. Every, the grass is greener on the other side. Everybody has, has it better than I do. I'm, I'm uniquely set aside to suffer. <laughs> you know, why am I so misunderstood? you know, why do I only sell this number of copies of my books? Why didn't I get to speak at that conference? Everybody has it better than me. Right. And that's a really distorted script. What a miserable way to live, (laughs) right? Always thinking that you're uh, left out or left behind from the good things of life. So it causes me, that tendency causes me to be critical of people. I sabotage conversations with people where I go dark and I go negative very quickly. And so 
I have taken on practices that help me affirm my inherent dignity and worth and arrest some of those patterns of thought. So it's helped me to say, I'm, I'm going to practice positive speech. I'm not going to speak critically or disparagingly about myself or anyone else mm -hmm. for seven days, 14 days, 40 days, and make a formal commitment to that. I'm going to take on the practice of affirming others. And I'm going to go out of my way. And every day I'm going to send an email or a text to someone and say, I'm grateful for your life. Here's how you blessed me. Here's the way I see you showing up in beautiful ways in the world. Just to counteract that, that false self script that seems to dominate my mind. Nice. Those questions are so helpful. And I, I think at least a version of those, we went through those together mm -hmm. and were so helpful. And like some of the practices that we came up with um, were just transformative for me. So yeah, so it, it works, people. It really works. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even if you misidentified your type. Right. It's, it, <laughs> you can still learn and grow, right? Yeah. Well, and maybe that's, there's an iterative process to this. That's why I like starting with the question, where do you feel stuck? What's not working? Mm -hmm. Because um, whether I, I do Enneagram workshops and I tell people, I'm far less concerned about you identifying your type correctly. It's more important to be exploring the, the question of how can I move towards greater wholeness mm -hmm. and just naming some of the things that feel like struggles for me, ways that uh, I'm sabotaging my relationships. How, do, how does the gospel speak to that? And what's a practice I can take on to respond? Yeah, that's so good. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on these days? Yeah. Um, I've been working on a project for four years. Called, it's part of something called Nine Beats. And I wrote some resources around the Beatitudes. And they're actually related to Enneagram. There's some resonance between the two. Um, the Beatitudes uh, address nine areas of distorted scripts we have in our lives mm -hmm. and call us back to reality. And so I've developed a curriculum and a transformational process around that. It's uh, a resource called the Nine Ninefold Path. And there's a website called ninefoldpath.org. Mm -hmm. And I've just finished a book, a full book version of this. It's going to be, it's coming out with InterVarsity uh, Press in spring of 2021. And it's called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. So uh, I like to do the work and then write the book later. So I've been doing groups around the Beatitudes now for four and a half years. And I've just finished kind of being able to summarize what I've learned by working with the Beatitudes and inviting people into retreats and practices, thousands of people around the world. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, this summer, we did a lab uh, called Solidarity. Mm -hmm. There's a five-week boot camp inviting dominant culture or, or white Christians to join in the struggle for um, racial justice and equality. Yeah. And so we looked at five kind of key practices to help us to do that. And so we just had took 50 people through that. We're going to take a break for a month and a half or so. And they'll be launching uh, more labs like that in the fall. And where can people kind of stay in touch and be able to participate in some of those? Where can they find out about the stuff that you're offering? Yeah, um, I have a website called markscandret.com. Mm -hmm. 
that has a uh, shows details of our uh, of my books and other resources, and uh, we've got a mailing list that we let people know about upcoming labs and things like that. Most of my book titles are also available on the major book uh, selling platforms as well. And then we have an organizational web- website called reimagine.org as well. And a lot of my, my general approach to spiritual formation, I wrote about in a book from 2011 called Practicing the Way of Jesus. Yeah. And so most of my other work is sort of based on this pedagogy of uh, this theory of learning about we learn through action, reflection, and practice in group settings. I think that's the m- most potent and transformational way to accelerate spiritual formation and growth. And um, so I'm really passionate about being in groups with people where we, um, we're honest and we take on practices together. Yeah. Can you talk just a little bit about the idea of the Jesus dojo? Mm-hmm. So Jesus' message was about the reality of the kingdom of God, not a theory. He was talking about how life actually works and works best. And so in order to experience everything that Jesus described about life in the kingdom of God, it's not just something we can do in our minds. Mm -hmm. Knowing things by itself doesn't transform us. We have got to figure out how to have a full face encounter with reality. And so um, Jesus had a rabbi-apprentice relationship with his disciples. He modeled a way of life and he gave them instructions. And um, so based on that, I think we need many more spaces, more spaces that look less like a college lecture hall and more like a karate studio or a Pilates studio or a yoga class, Mm -hmm. meaning we're going to do the work together, not just here good ideas. That's one of the things, Mark, that I just really respect about you is that you're not just a person who writes books and puts good content out there, but you're a practitioner as well. And uh, I know that, you know, many of your books have just been a gift to leaders around the world, including myself. And so I just want to thank you, man, just for taking the time to be with us today to talk about the Enneagram and some of the work that you're doing blessings as you take a break and uh, spend some time with your family and then get back to work on uh, the many good things that you're up to. Man, wasn't that great? The part that I found most helpful were the four questions that Mark shared for people seeking to discover their type and practices to help them on their journey to greater self-understanding and growth. As he mentioned during the interview, Mark was my coach and spiritual director for a season, and I benefited so much from his wisdom during that time in my life. If you're looking for someone to help you grow in your discipleship and leadership, I'd encourage you to reach out to Mark through his website, which is included in the show notes. Hey, if you're a new listener, I want to welcome you. I'm so glad that you tuned in today. And I hope that you'll subscribe to the Speaking of Leadership podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss out on future episodes. If you enjoyed what you heard today, I'd be grateful if you took just a moment to rate the podcast and leave a short review. And if you're a regular listener, I'd love if you considered supporting this podcast by becoming a Speaking of Leadership podcast patron. You can help me continue producing episodes like the one that you just listened to for as little as $3 a month. Think of it as a virtual tip jar. The Speaking of Leadership podcast is an independent, listener-supported production, so every donation helps. Visit patreon.com 
forward slash speaking of leadership for more information. Well, that's all for today. Join me next time when I sit down with author, speaker, and leadership coach, J.R. Briggs.